The Seahawks have entered the final home stretch of their offseason program, set to kick off mandatory minicamp on Tuesday. Heading into the three-day festivities, which position groups should fans be paying close attention to? I'll be breaking it all down in the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Heading into a crucial week in the Seahawks offseason, they'll have their three-day mandatory minicamp starting tomorrow at the VMAC. I'll be breaking down which position groups I'll be watching most closely during the three-day minicamp. Plus, I'll be looking at some foundational building blocks. Who are the new faces of the franchise for the Seahawks heading into 2022? And can Drew Locke become a franchise quarterback for the Seahawks? I'll be digging in on those topics and much more in a jam-packed Monday episode. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks are heading into the final home stretch of their offseason program. They've done five of their nine organized team activities to this point. And changing things up a little bit from past seasons, the Seahawks will have their mandatory minicamp sandwiched in the middle of their OTAs on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's a mandatory event, but don't expect these practices to really be any different in terms of structure than what the Seahawks have been doing during OTAs. There's still no contact allowed. It is a controlled practice session. Probably not going to have 11 and 11 on the field. Might do some walkthrough type stuff as they've been doing throughout OTAs. But I wouldn't expect there's going to be any differences in terms of the type of practices, the tempo, and things like that. There will be some veterans that haven't been in attendance at OTAs that are expected to be back again. These the Seahawks can actually make mandatory, unlike organized team activities, according to the CBA. So many of these veterans at least will be in attendance. Doesn't mean that they're going to be practicing. Some injured players like Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, that are coming back from surgeries aren't going to be participating in these practices either, but they're expected to be there in attendance to watch their teammates do some coaching on the field, unlike the OTAs where they have been out of town during that time. Which positions am I going to be looking at? Again, this is fake football, as Pete Carroll has called it several times over the past few weeks. It's a controlled environment. They're not doing 11-on-11. You can't have contact, no tackling, no blocking. So there are certain position groups that are going to be impacted more so than others. As far as positions to watch at the Seahawks mandatory minicamp, first and foremost, should be no surprise, I'm going to be paying close attention to the quarterbacks, Geno Smith and Drew Locke specifically. Shane Waldron mentioned Jacob Eason the other day. From what I have seen, I don't think that Jacob Eason is truly part of this competition. The Seahawks may play it off that way, but the former Washington standout, I think, is clearly the number three quarterback on the depth chart, isn't going to be in the mix to be getting first-team reps unless there's an injury in front of him. And even then, I don't know that's going to be the case because I think he's squarely the number three quarterback. Going to be difficult for him to make this roster. Geno Smith and Drew Locke, to me, are the superior quarterbacks ahead of him on the depth chart. But it's still up for debate who's going to be the starter 
of those two quarterbacks. Right now, I think Geno Smith is still in the driver's seat because of the familiarity that he has with Shane Waldron's offense. He started three games last year in place of Russell Wilson, and he's also got locker room backing. And this isn't to say that Drew Locke isn't popular in the locker room or isn't working towards that. Everything that's been said publicly by teammates suggests that he's a liked teammate and that he's done a really good job acclimating to this locker room. And that was not an issue for him in Denver either. His teammates loved him with the Broncos. It was the on-field performance that ended up leading him losing his starting job to Teddy Bridgewater last year. So I don't think that that is a huge difference between these two. But right now, that familiarity aspect, Geno Smith playing in the system, knowing it inside and out. Drew Locke, according to Shane Waldron, is doing a good job of catching up and learning the offense. But he's still way behind compared to Smith, who's been in the system since Shane Waldron arrived. So right now, I think it's still Geno's job. But you could see some split reps. We could see both guys getting 50-50 here during these three days of mandatory minicamp. They're going to be getting as many looks as both of these guys they can with this still being a very wide-open competition. And as far as another competition I think is really wide open on the offensive side of the football, the receiver position, and this is one that I think you can actually evaluate during these fake football sessions because even though receivers can't be jammed, they're not dealing with press coverage, corners are hindered a bit in what they can do at the line of scrimmage, at least there's more similarities to real football playing on the outside with these athletes going and making plays. And this is a loaded depth chart for the Seahawks. I think there are seven players, you could say maybe at least six, that are trying to fight and have a realistic opportunity to make this roster. Because I think when you look at the guaranteed roster spots, clearly DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are going to be on this football team. And I would think that D. Eskridge going into his sophomore season, especially with the things that have been said by Pete Carroll and Shane Waldron, he's still very much a big part of their plans on offense for the future. They want to get him the football more often this year and try to use his unique skill set as a compliment to the other standouts that they have in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. So he's going to be on this roster. I think Freddie Swain is going to be on this roster. That's four receiver spots. And the Seahawks in the past have actually held only four. So it's possible that that might be what they end up doing again in week one when the Broncos come to town. And they might try to sneak a few guys onto their practice squad. There's a saturation of this position league-wide with so much talent at receiver. They've been able to keep a lot of their guys like Penny Hart and Cody Thompson on the practice squad. And they haven't been claimed off waivers. I don't know that they'll necessarily be able to do that with their two draft picks this year and Bo Melton and Dariq Young. That may complicate those efforts a little bit, but those two rookies, Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, you've got Aaron Fuller in his third season, been on the practice squad the last couple of years, dressed for a few games last season. Kate Johnson, still a player that the organization seems to be high on, had a really good college career, can run routes of the slot can play special teams. And then you've got Marquise Goodwin, who was recently signed, a veteran that has played a lot of games in the NFL. He's been familiar with a system like Shane Waldron's playing for Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, been around the league enough that nothing really phases him. He's seen everything. So he's been able to hit the ground running figuratively and literally. So you've got seven players right there that are going to be trying to battle for maybe one or two roster spots. Special teams will be crucial. We'll find out more about that when training camp arrives at this point. Very little that the Seahawks can do to evaluate special teams players. That will change once the calendar turns to August and the pads come on. That'll really be a deciding factor on who ends up making this team. But this is going to be a good chance to get some momentum, particularly for some of those younger receivers, especially the rookies coming in. If they can get healthy, 
and give them a chance to get some momentum going into training camp to give them a chance to maybe make this roster come September. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I think on defense, it's really difficult to try to assess different position groups because there's no tackling, particularly in the trenches. You can't see how guys are handling blocks. You can try to manage your run fits. You can try to look at communication-related stuff, assignments. Those are the things you can evaluate. But in the trenches, you know, you can't really evaluate pass rushers this time of year because they're not going against real blocking. You can't evaluate run defense because they aren't doing anything in the trenches that's even close to resembling real football. But as I mentioned with receiver, I think even a cornerback with the limitations that that position has with no contact, they're not supposed to be playing the football, trying to make interceptions. That makes it difficult to assess the position. But I still think that you can get some value watching the cornerback play during minicamp. And I just think this is a prime opportunity for a lot of the young guys here. Trey Brown's not going to be participating coming off of his knee injury, but Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen, they got tested some last week during OTAs, and that's going to happen. They're going to go through their rookie bumps, but this is a great opportunity. Just as I mentioned with Tariq Young and Bo Melton on offense, this is your chance. This is your chance. You've got Trey Brown not practicing a guy that maybe has a chance to be a starter for you if healthy. And you've got Artie Burns who came in from Chicago. He's been impressive so far. But this is the chance for those young guys to really stand out. And again, momentum is big. You're not going to win a starting job during OTAs and minicamp, but a rookie can absolutely make a strong impression going towards camp and then give themselves a chance during training camp in the preseason to potentially win some playing time on defense. So you got to believe that Kobe Bryant and Tariq Woolen are going to be looking to turn some heads here and show some strides from last week when it was a really up and down week of OTAs. They're going to want to do well during these mandatory minicamp practices to set themselves up for success once we get to real football and the pads come on in less than two months. It's going to be an exciting three days, a great chance to evaluate particularly the communication aspect, assignments, things of that nature. The coaching staff is going to be handling things much the same as they have been in OTAs, but still an important period, particularly for a franchise that is in transition. Speaking of transition, this has been a franchise that has had Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and other big-name stars that have really been the foundational building blocks for a decade. Now there isn't a single player off the Super Bowl team that's still on the roster. So who's going to emerge as the new foundational building blocks for this franchise? I'm going to be discussing and debating, looking at some of your listener responses as well. Which three players stand out as the new faces of the Seahawks franchise when we return at BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams and celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging. That won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. 
This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models out there, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, waiting while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? For example, Honda Odyssey fuel pumps might be $350 from a chain store and then $216 at Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you could possibly need, whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How'd You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection and reliably low prices. All the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have an important favor to ask of you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcast. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long that everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey Thanks for your help. For the first time in a decade, the Seahawks will have a new quarterback under center, and they're going to have a new quarterback on defense. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner both departing this offseason with Wilson being traded to the Broncos and Wagner being released before signing with the Rams. There's not a single player left on the roster that played in their last Super Bowl game back in 2015 against the Patriots in Arizona. It truly is a new era for the franchise. And with that being said, that really begs the question, who are the new building blocks for this franchise? And there are certainly still some veteran stars on this football team. This is not a team that's completely dearth of talent. They did not completely instill wholesale changes. You've got players like Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Rashad Penny, maybe Chris Carson if he comes back healthy. This is a team that's got plenty of star power. So if you want to go that way, there are certainly some veterans that are still on the team that may be those foundational building blocks, those new faces of the franchise. This question was posed to me today by Chuck Powell on KJR Radio, and I just decided this is something that needs to be dug in a little bit deeper because honestly, when I was asked the question, you know, who would be the three players that would be the ones that you pick first, that you protect if there was a fantasy draft? Who are those three building blocks for you? It was complicated because I had about seven or eight names that popped into my head that I immediately thought those guys are critical to the Seahawks getting back to the playoffs. But there's a lot of different factors at play here, and everybody's going to have slightly different responses. So I posed this question on social media this morning and got some really interesting responses. I want to start with my thoughts on this. As far as who's going to be replacing Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner as those new faces of the franchise, or at least who I think would be the three players that I would protect if there was a fantasy draft or if we were starting from scratch, who are those foundational pieces? And to me, 
the number one thing is youth matters when you're talking about this because I'm looking towards the future. So there are some star players on this particular team that maybe right now give them a great chance to contend or they're going to give them a chance to contend for the playoffs in a couple of years, but might not have been the best picks. This was certainly a complicated question for me to answer and contemplate. Looking at my list here, I've got to start as far as new franchise building blocks. Got to start with DK Metcalf, the big receiver. I mentioned the youth aspect. He's 24 years old. He's already been a second team all pro selection. He's one of five receivers in NFL history in his first three seasons to have over 3,100 receiving yards, score 29 receiving touchdowns, and catch over 200 passes. Jerry Rice and Randy Moss are two of the other four players that are on that list. He is truly an elite company. He is on his way to being one of the best receivers that the game has ever seen, at least from a statistical standpoint. And he's such a matchup nightmare. So I look at the offensive side of the ball. Tyler Lockett could be in consideration here, but Lockett is significantly older now in his 30s. This is a player that is maybe going to start trending towards decline. I think he's still going to be great for several more seasons, but you know we might start to see that slippage in his play a little bit because of age. DK Metcalf should still be an ascending talent at 24 years of age that has not reached his ceiling because they're in the numbers he's already put up. That just is scary for opposing defenses out there. Regardless of who's under center, this is the type of receiver that is going to make any quarterback better, whether it's Geno Smith or Drew Locke or Baker Mayfield, a draft pick next year. He should be one of those foundational building blocks. He ended up being the only player on offense that I could pick here because they do have the questions at quarterback, and there are a number of players that have had injuries at key positions as far as skills go. An offensive line, Charles Cross maybe could be considered, but he has not played a game yet, so I couldn't pull the trigger there, even though left tackle is a critical position in today's NFL. Instead, I went to the defensive side of the football, and the other quarterback on this football team. I think Jordan Brooks is going to step into that role now. Jordan Brooks is a player who showed last season he has all pro caliber talent. 184 tackles led the entire NFL, a new franchise record for the Seahawks, beating out Bobby Wagner, did get a vote as an all pro selection. There are a number of areas in his game that he needs to clean up and improve upon, but I think we already started to see that last year. We saw him improve against screens as the season went on. I thought the last five or six games he was fantastic reading and stopping screens. That was a big problem for him early in the season. He made adjustments and really improved there. In coverage, I think his numbers are misleading because he got beat by some outstanding throws by players like Matthew Stafford, who probably got him two or three times with Cooper Cup, and Jordan Brooks was in near-perfect position, and sometimes the throw just simply beats the coverage. I feel like he made big strides last year in that department, and as a blitzer, he's been effective in limited opportunities. This is going to be a more aggressive defense. I think the Seahawks might use him a bit more in that capacity. So this kid has a chance to be that next all-pro linebacker for the Seahawks. He got a vote last year. This year, number three, could be the true breakout year for him where he starts to become a household name as one of the NFL's best linebackers. So I had to include him on my list. I think his ceiling is extremely high, going to be the new defensive play caller. I just think he's critical to Seattle's chances of getting back into contention 
quickly. And I stayed on the defensive side of the football for my third and final pick, but maybe not the players some of our listeners would suspect. Yes, Jamal Adams is only 26 years old. Quandre Diggs is going to be 30 soon, but is coming off of two straight Pro Bowls. Both these guys are outstanding safeties, two of the best. In terms of positional depth, the Seahawks might have the best safety groups in the entire NFL, but pass rushers matter above all else. And I think Daryl Taylor has a chance to be a special player in this 3-4 defense that Clint Hurt is going to be instilling. His explosiveness, his speed, rushing off the edge, dynamic rusher. Last year showed his chops with four sacks the first five games. Didn't have many sacks the rest of the season, but you could see improvements in his hand technique. He led the team in pressures. I think he's going to explode in year number three. This is a player that could be a consistent double-digit sack producer. And so for that very reason, because of how important it is to turn up the heat on quarterbacks, how much money that those edge rushers get paid, Daryl Taylor would absolutely be one of my top three priorities to protect. If I was only allowed to protect three players, he would be on that list before the two safeties. Adam's injury history would be something maybe that concerns me a little bit. And in terms of importance position-wise, having a guy off the edge who can turn the heat on quarterbacks is the most important thing on defense in 2022. So when you get a young guy like Daryl Taylor, who's only 25, that's an ascending talent, that is a guy you should be building your football team around. And again, this is not shots at Tyler Lockett or Jamal Adams or Quandre Diggs. All of those players are really good football players, borderline elite players. And yet, when you're looking from a long-term perspective, two of those guys are going to be 30 this season. One of them's had injury issues, plays strong safety, more of that box safety position in terms of positional value and youth. Metcalf, Brooks, Taylor, those are the three that would be my new faces for the franchise moving forward. Moving back to the quarterback discussion, the Seahawks, as I mentioned, I've talked about this extensively, they're not going to have Russell Wilson under center. Drew Locke is going to be one of those players competing to replace him. After Washington and Denver, does he have a chance to actually play his way into being a long-term starter for the Seahawks? I'm going to be investigating here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting, stats, and sports information needs. Find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup, the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news with MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark this time of year, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no off-season for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked on NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Ever since the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson in March, the front office, your brain trust of Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they have showered Drew Locke in praise. And I think initially, people including myself, 
look at his coach speak and general manager speak. Of course, they're going to talk up Drew Locke, who's the quarterback that they got back in return, a player they liked coming out of Missouri that also was a standout in the Senior Bowl. Everyone knows how much they love Senior Bowl prospects. So, of course, they're going to be talking this kid up. They want to make it look like he's got a chance to be the starter. And the further that we've been distanced from that first press conference that happened on March 16th, those comments continue to look more and more genuine, choosing not to draft a quarterback end of April, not making any other splashy moves like going out and getting Baker Mayfield or just Sean Watson who they were linked to for a short while. They've opted to stay quiet in the quarterback front. They're moving forward with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. And of course, that's created the question can Drew Locke not only end up being the starter now, but could he have a chance at just 25 years of age to potentially play his way into becoming the long-term franchise quarterback for the Seahawks? And I've talked about this several times on the show over the past couple of months, that of course his age is something that certainly points towards the possibility. You know, maybe he's still got really good football in front of him and things just didn't work out in Denver I decided to do some digging on pro football reference and looking back to 1970 when the NFL and AFL officially merged, looking for quarterbacks that put up similar numbers and a similar number of starts in their first three seasons compared to Drew Locke. And I found some really interesting information. I wrote an article about this on All Seahawks. If you want a bit more in-depth, not going to be covering all the bases that I had in that article in this podcast, but certainly going to be covering the main points. And it's really interesting what I was able to uncover during my research. Since 1970, as I mentioned, the NFL-AFL merger, that was the cutoff line for me doing this assignment. 26 quarterbacks have started at least 20 games and threw 25 or fewer touchdowns, 20 or more interceptions, and completed less than 60% of their passes in their first three NFL seasons. Drew Locke is one of those 26 quarterbacks. Let's start with the bad first here. Only seven of the 23 retired players on the list. You have Blaine Gabbard and Colt McCoy still in the NFL, as well as Drew Locke. So those three can't be included in this. But seven of the 23 that are out of the league, only seven of them, got to 100 career passing touchdowns before they hung up their cleats. 14 of those players, or more than 50%, didn't even reach 50 touchdown passes. Five of those guys, including Ryan Leaf, maybe the biggest bust in NFL history, didn't throw another touchdown after their third NFL season. So that's not necessarily a good sign. When you've got Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus Russell being two players that are on the same list with you, you never want to be in that company. And 15 players, 65% from this group, made less than 28 starts for the rest of their respective careers. Nine of those players started six or fewer games after their third season. So from that perspective, that certainly does not look good, statistically speaking, for Drew Locke's chances of being able to right the ship and become a franchise quarterback for the Seahawks. We're talking more than 60% of these players that were on this list not ever finding a long-term starting job after that third season, whether they stayed with their original team or had a change of scenery, it didn't matter. The majority of these players didn't pan out later in their career, didn't meet expectations. It's incredible how many of these players were first and second round selections as well. Players like Dave Klingler, for example, on this list that started a lot of games early in their careers, struggled mightily, and then never really got another chance to prove themselves in the league. In today's NFL, it's even tougher because teams 
are even less patient. There's an urgency. We need to get quarterbacks in the lineup early and they need to play well early. If not, we got to move on and we got to start thinking about who our next quarterback is that we're going to draft. And a lot of times there's coaching and general manager changes that go with that. So again, from that perspective, statistically speaking, that does not bode well for Drew Locke's chances to be the guy in Seattle. But at the same time, that doesn't tell the entire story because there are a number of guys that were not in that category. And what I was able to notice is that eight players, the other eight, for the most part, turned things around, not just being starters, but they became very good starters, including a pair of Hall of Famers in Steve Young and Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts was horrible his first four or five years in the NFL. And again, that was a much different era where teams were willing to have a much longer leash with quarterbacks. I don't think Dan Fouts ever becomes a Hall of Famer if he comes into the NFL now and plays the way he did his first few years in the league. He might not even be on a roster. That's how bad his numbers were early on in his career. But he became an all-pro talent. And obviously Steve Young, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And he was in Tampa Bay early in his career, traded to San Francisco, had to sit and wait for several years behind Joe Montana before he finally became the guy. So those circumstances are a lot different than what Drew Locke is walking into in Seattle. But the point here is you've got six players of those eight that earned at least one Pro Bowl selection in their fourth season or later after being really bad their first three seasons. Young, Fouch, Steve Bartkowski, who played for the Atlanta Falcons. Alex Smith, who recently retired, he was a multi-time Pro Bowler. You have a few All-Pro selections on this list. So what does this really say about Drew Locke's situation coming into Seattle? Yes, the statistics suggest there's a better chance that he's going to be one and done in Seattle, becoming a free agent next year, than him being the guy. And I don't think anybody expects he's going to follow the footsteps of Steve Young or Dan Fouts and be in Canton someday. That would be a remarkable turnaround that's been very rare at the quarterback position. At the same time, Pete Carroll and John Schneider don't believe that they need a quarterback that's going to shoulder the load to win football games. Carroll's constantly talking about wanting a point guard at the quarterback spot. So if Drew Locke can get rid of some of the turnovers that plagued him during his three years in Denver, if he can do a better job being that point guard and facilitating the offense, being efficient on third down, limiting turnovers, using his legs to create some when he needs to, improvising out of the pocket to extend plays, and occasionally take those deep shots. He's got the arm to do it. If he's able to check off those boxes, maybe he becomes the next Alex Smith. And I know Alex Smith got benched, or they didn't bench him, but the Chiefs moved on from him, and they traded him because Patrick Mahomes was waiting in the wings. The 49ers had Colin Kaepernick, who led them to a Super Bowl. They moved on from him. But Alex Smith, after a miserable first three or four years in the league, eventually Jim Harbaugh came to the NFL and that's what really turned things around for Alex Smith. He's one of those rare examples where he didn't have to change teams either. He found his groove in San Francisco, then got traded to Kansas City and enjoyed a very strong five seasons playing for Andy Reid, playing in a very quarterback-friendly offense. So if the Seahawks can get Drew Locke to emulate Smith's path and he can come in and he can limit those turnovers he can master this offense, excel as a play-action passer, which he did his rookie season. This can't be completely ruled out. 
I still think when you look at the draft class coming in next year, there's a stronger likelihood that Seahawks are going to be going and getting their franchise guy because they've got four draft picks the first two rounds. They've got the ammunition to go up and get one of these stud quarterbacks that's expected to be coming out next year. But you still can't discount the opportunity that Drew Locke has presented in front of him right now. And history confirms, yeah, eight out of 23, that's not even 50%, but that's still a fairly significant percentage of players that put up similar numbers to Drew Locke in their first three seasons, and they ended up becoming really solid starters in the NFL. A number of those players became among the best quarterbacks in the NFL in their careers. So maybe Drew Locke, with the physical tools that he has, maybe it's just a change of scenery. That doesn't always work out, but there are cases where guys change teams and they really flourish. And with him being just 25 years old, being an underrated athlete, having a hose for an arm, John Schneider's not wrong when he uses that word to describe the arm talent that Drew Locke has. It's clear on film that he can make all the throws. He just hasn't put it together and the decision-making, the turnovers, Again, those are things that he does not improve significantly in Shane Waldron's offense with his decision-making, limiting those turnovers. He's not even going to beat out Geno Smith, and he's going to be a backup this season, probably going to be moving on next year. But it's not out of the question when you look historically, the situation that Drew Locke is walking into as well. If the run game's strong, the defense plays really well, and they're not asking him to shoulder the entire load, goes out and he's very efficient with the football then Drew Locke could be very successful this year. If that happens, it creates you know, a good problem to have for the Seahawks. They might be looking at this, hey, we can draft a quarterback, but Drew Locke, we can re-sign him. We don't have to break the bank to do it because he's got one good year under his belt. We can bring him back, and we could potentially have a competition there, and one of those guys could be our franchise quarterback moving forward. So I don't know that this is what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to play himself into consideration there. He's got to beat out Geno Smith first. And I I think Geno Smith's got a great chance to win this job. But it's not out of the question that if everything comes together, it's happened before in the NFL. Sometimes players have ended up becoming Hall of Fame caliber players, just having better situations or being with different coaches. And sometimes it just takes players more than a few years to really find their groove. And in today's NFL, There might be some guys that slip through the cracks for that very reason because time is money and teams just don't have the patience to truly develop some of these players. And sometimes you know early on that this guy is not the guy. That could be the case of Drew Locke, but the Seahawks seem to believe that's not necessarily the case. We'll see how this plays out. But nonetheless, history suggests that Drew Locke, there's at least a fighting chance that maybe this could be a long-term situation for him. The ball is in his court. He's got the he's got to go out. The onus is on him to play at a high level, to learn this offense, and improve upon the things that ended up hindering him in Denver. Again, he checks off those boxes, and he plays smarter football, turns the ball over less, is able to make some of those shot throws that the Seahawks believe he's capable of. He's got the arm to make, uses athleticism when he needs to, then this could be still a very solid starting quarterback in the NFL. A lot of ifs there, but certainly has the physical tools, and he's going to be in an offense that really fits his skill set well. So the opportunity is there. We'll see what he's able to do with it as the offseason program winds down and the competition heats up to start a training camp in late July early August. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL, and you can check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I'll be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang. The two of us will be sharing our thoughts on the first day of mandatory minicamp. Plus, we'll be continuing our position-by-position breakdowns with defensive tackles. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.